Conte, Florenzi, eccolo il cross tagliato di testa che da gol! Gol! Il magnifico! Il magnifico! Il magnifico rettore! Live! Entertainment capital of the world. What a strike! What a goal! What a comeback! What a game! There are no words to describe it! It's the TC Martin Show. Léger hors jeu, mais cette fois-ci, il y en a pas pour Marco Reus. Très fort devant le but! Oh, Prescription from the doctor, T.C. Martin. El largo pifio. Messi la tiene. Messi, Messi, Messi. Ahí está Iniesta. Gol. Thursday edition, T.C. Martin Show, glad to have you with us right here on a Thursday, and yes, we've got Thursday Night Football, not sure how much of a game we're going to have tonight, but it should be a competitive game, we've seen this before, we have competitive games with lower level teams, and we got that tonight, the Eagles and the Giants, right? Well, in that division, couldn't the winner eventually uh, wind up in first place or something, since none of them have anything? (laughs) <laughs> Good I mean, point. I mean, it's uh, that whole division's garbage. Yes. A- every game is big in that division. Yes. If you're two games under 500, you're probably going to win it. Right. Okay. As, as we talked about the other day, the <laughs> Dallas Cowboys in first place at 2-4. and four, And tonight we've got the Giants at 1-5 and five and uh, the Eagles at 1-4-1. One, and one. Well, Giants pr- have their longest winning streak of the season going right now. Uno. That's it. Exactly. Will it be one and done? Chris Bosio is going to join us a little bit later on as we talk World Series. Game number two last night, Tampa Bay gets a victory. I know there were a lot of people during yesterday's show, before the show, and even before first pitch last night after the Dodgers won rather handily in game one that uh, we were going to have a short series here. It is so funny. We talk about this all the time, especially in football and on all sports. It's like, as I say, the Janet Jackson curse. What have you done for me lately? And now all of a sudden, oh, we got a series. Like, people are surprised. Well, it's the same thing in the NBA. Everybody thought it was going to be super short. That one's six games, so you don't know exactly what's going to happen. We know that people love to overreact from the last thing they saw. So they saw the Dodgers bring out the bats in the first game. They just assumed that they were going to roll. But Tampa Bay's got a pretty good pitching staff. If they can get the bats rolling a little bit, you know, they can still cause damage. There's a reason that they are the representative in the World Series for the American League. So I hope we do have a good series. I hope we have a long one. One thing that I wanted to bring up to you, because I'm watching the game, and I know you always look at analyzing it. And we talk about sometimes, especially when they're using the designated hitter that managers tend to overmanage. It didn't end up to coming into effect. But in the bottom of the eighth, when Tampa had runners on first and second, and there was two outs, and then they put in two pinch runners. Right. I was looking at that going, if they if the Dodgers tie this thing and it goes into extras or something like that, why would you shorten your bench mm. like that? Not only shorten your bench, but remember who they pinch ran for. Yeah. Your leadoff hitter and your number three hitter. And, and your number three hitter who, 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 just got an infi- right. who just got an infield single who's right. one of your best players. Yes. So you know he's got wheels. Your top two hitters, yeah. your leadoff hitter I'm and your number three hitter. I'm looking at that going, you just took mm-hmm. a potential 
you know, pinch hitters up, or if you wanted a defense to replace them, or if somebody gets hurt or something, I'm thinking, okay, it's probably not going to come into effect, but I'm thinking that's over-managing. Yes. No one's going to mention it because it didn't come to fruition, but if that thing would have, if the Dodgers would have tied it and it would have gone 12 or 13 innings and all of a sudden they were out of bench players, I, I just didn't understand it. I see the one guy going off, and then they're like, oh, they pinch ran both guys. And I'm like, why? I can't remember the last time I saw two pinch runners come in the game at the same time. But Especially again, with two outs. Exactly, two outs. And remember, a two-run game. It's 6-4. It's not like it's 8-1. to one. And Okay, we want to you know give uh, Rosarina some time off or something like that. Again, your number one hitter, your number three hitter, gone out of the game. So if the Dodgers do score two, you tie it up. And for me, you don't need to go 12 or 13 about running out of players. you got to be concerned about, okay, I just lost two of my best hitters, and, and now I could lose the game in, in, the, in the 10th or the 11th. Well, you also just or the bottom lost, of the ninth. Well, you, just, you also just lost potentially guys that could be pinch hitting if the 8th or ninth right. spot come up later on or something. I'm watching that. Oh, and by the way, you mentioned a Rosarina. The guy that you pinch ran for him is probably not as fast as him. Right, so exactly. why do you bring in a pinch runner that's not as fast as the guy you're bringing him in for? I was just I was sitting there scratching my head going, wow, this is overmanaging 101. And guess where it all started, my friend? It started in Tampa Bay years ago, and our good friend Chris Bosio, who will be joining us pretty soon, he saw it firsthand. Joe Madden and Kevin Cash, a disciple of Joe Madden, they just love to overthink, overmanage, try to be avant-garde, try to be, you know, really unique with all of these things. And again, who is the first guy that we saw to, you know, bat the pitcher eighth? Joe Madden, which I never understood. Why would you want to have the worst hitter bat eighth? Why would you want to do that? It just kills me. It's no different than managers putting up a guy that bats 220 in their leadoff spot. Your best hitter better hit number one because guess who gets up more times than anybody else in the order? The number one hitter. Oh, but he's a good bunter or he's got speed. Speed doesn't do you any good if you can't get on. He's got a good eye. He he can draw a walk. Yeah, right. Not if you throw him a strike and he can't hit it. Exactly. Exactly. So this stuff has just bothered me forever. And I know like when I coached and managed, it just a lot of people thought that I would go against the grain. And I would always have my best hitter hit leadoff. I don't care if that person was my best home run hitter, best power hitter. If it was the best hitter for average and on base percentage, guess what? They're hitting one. I'm not going to save them to hit three or four. Yeah, if you, if you get a guy with some power in that leadoff spot, that's just an advantage for you, but right. that's not what you're looking for. Ricky Henderson didn't bat leadoff because he hit more leadoff home runs than anybody else. Right. He batted, he hit leadoff because he could get on base, he stole bases for you, he set himself up, and occasionally he'd also go long. He had everything you wanted. Exactly. It wasn't like, well, let's get our weakest hitter out of the way. Right. And when you turn over the order... Okay, how many times are you going to come up late in, the, in a game, and here it is, your leadoff hitter could be sitting on deck with two outs in the bottom of the ninth, and you, you want your best player in that situation. And if eight and nine happen to get on, hey, boom, now you got some power with the leadoff guy? I mean, come on. Well, and you, and you it's men- so simple. You mentioned the thing about turning it over. Yeah. Wasn't it Mookie Betts in the on-deck circle when exactly. the game ended last night? And that's what if I was they saying. would have turned it over sometime yep. other than yep. that, maybe yep. he gets up to bat. Yep. Maybe then it's yep. all the – it doesn't mean he's going to go long. Yep. It doesn't mean – but you set yourself up for success. And, again, Tampa won the game last night. But what they did in that bottom of the eighth, to me, was not setting up for success. It was setting up for a potential disaster where you were going to get second-guessed over and over and over again. Yep. 
No one's going to talk about it. That's why I wanted to bring it up here on your show because I knew other – who else is mentioning that today? Yeah. I haven't heard it anywhere, yeah. and yeah. they're not going to because it didn't affect the game. Yeah. If they do that in game three or four or someplace else, they're going to be raking them over the coals, and then somebody might go, yeah, I think he did something similar to that in game two, didn't he? But it didn't come to fruition. Yeah. Just because it doesn't come to fruition doesn't mean it wasn't the wrong decision. Exactly. You got away with it. You got away with it. It's 100%. like the pitcher when they go, oh, he made one mistake in the game. No, he probably made three or four. The other ones were fouled off. Exactly. Yep. Not every mistake ends up in the seats. Exactly. No, and this has been a pet peeve of mine. And from a betting perspective, it's it's hard to bet on managers like this. And, you know, I understand the Rays are kind of like the flavor of the season here. But I don't well, like the, the way. Well, story. Exactly. Oh, I don't... They can beat the top three payrolls in yes. baseball. They have the lowest payroll. Nobody knows any of their players. They play in a garbage ballpark. This is the nicest park they're going to be playing in right now because they're not home. They have an advantage. I mean, right. Yeah, you have all the... The evil empire again because they've already beat two of them or whatever. Can they get the trifecta, the hat trick, whatever you want to call it? Yeah, Yeah, everybody just – people love the underdog. Yeah, but for me, it's like I can't bet on – a manager, which I don't know what he's going to do pitching wise. He's going to throw the opener in. A guy that come is going to come in and, and pitch one inning, and then you got a rotating leadoff hitter. You know how I feel about the leadoff hitter. It just it's crazy. I mean, you look at the Astros one to nine. Basically, they're they're pretty solid. They might make a change or something like that. We saw that in the last series. This series with the Dodgers, pretty much. You know, through Kiki Hernandez in, but to play second base towards the bottom of the order. But this guy's come up with huge hits during his career, uh, a rock solid player. But you don't see the top four, five, six guys in your lineup, you know, rotating. You don't see that. Or you're going to see guys that, uh, you know, we're going to do a lefty righty switch pretty much with your first three or four hitters. Those are your horses. You stick with them. But Kevin Cash, you never know. One guy could be leading off. He could be out of the lineup the next day, or he could be, be about in seven, eight, or nine. It's insane. Yeah, but see, but that, that's how tricky he is. He's hard to make a game oh, yeah. plan against, TC, yeah, yeah. because you don't know what the lineup's going to be. No. You just tell your pitcher, get out who's ever up to bat. Exactly. Whatever the order, whatever order they put him in, we still have to get him out. Just go ahead and do that. No, sometimes I think these guys make all these decisions just to show how smart and everything they are, and sometimes it ends up in disaster. Mm-hmm. Now, for Tampa Bay, they're having a magical season, and I'm glad because it looks like maybe we have a World Series. But it still doesn't mean that everything they do is right. Absolutely. You know, this is a, a great topic, and – Let's talk to Chris Bosio about this because he was right next to Joe Madden. I mean, he was his right hand guy in Chicago, as you know, and Madden pulled all kinds of crazy moves. You know, he did it back in the day with uh, the Rays and he did it in the World Series with the Cubs and those playoffs, and, and he cost him uh, a lot of games. So we'll, I want to get Bosio's thoughts on this. And I already know how Bosio feels about Joe Madden, <laughs> but, uh, but from that perspective, it'll be interesting as you're, you know, sitting next to the guy and you're, trying to plan, you know, okay, what are we going to do next inning, this and that? And, you know, hey, what do you think, Boz? Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bat Kyle Hendricks eighth. Like, what? What? Okay, I guess do your thing. So, you know. Well, you know. I, know, I know earlier you talked about the pitcher batting eighth. I could see that maybe in a couple really rare exceptions if you have a pitcher who's a really good hitting pitcher. Like I know years ago, Rick Sutcliffe, when he pitched for the mm. Cubs, they actually use him as a pinch hitter sometimes. It's like, okay, if if your pitcher's that good of a hitter and he's better than, your, than the eighth option otherwise, I could see flipping him. But like you say, not all the time, not just to do it to show mm. how avant-garde and cool right. and, and witty you are. And I'll tell you why you don't do that, though, because, again, your pitcher is only getting up to the plate maybe once every five days, right? 
and he's more than likely not going to go the distance. What if he has a short outing? Then what? Now you're in a pinch hitting role the rest of the game at, at the eighth spot? You bat him ninth because I guarantee you that just about any everyday player, for the most part, is going to be better than your pitcher, for the most part. But I'm with you. Sutcliffe, Kershaw, Bumgardner, those guys are, are really good. Max Scherzer, those guys are great hitters. But you know what? Just It makes you think, though, too, as an opposing manager. So you get this good hitting pitcher coming up ninth, and we got the leadoff guy behind him. What am I going to do with this number eight hitter? That takes that out of the equation. But no one talks about that. No, and of course, well, I mean, I guess this is kind of a moot point in this particular playoff series this year, or anyhow, because everybody's using the DH, right. so the pitcher doesn't right. come up there. Right. But no, and that's a, and, and I'm curious to see how that works out too, because I think this is the precursor to they want to use the DH everywhere now. Right. I, I think the National League and having the pitcher come to bat, we might not see it again, or we might not see it for much longer. I don't like that scenario, and it's always killed me that the American League is the one that came up with this. The league that produced Babe Ruth, the some people still think the real home run king in baseball. Right. Not going to get into that because right. that's a whole different discussion. But Babe Ruth, the home run king when he retired, who hit more home runs than most of the teams in the league back in the dead ball era, and had, I believe, 99 victories as a pitcher as well, was a really good hit. So you're telling me that if Babe Ruth came around today, we'd never know that he could actually hit because he wouldn't even get to bat? Oh, well, this goes back to, and even still to a certain degree nowadays, but really not so much. I mean, we all knew who are your, your best hitters in Little League and high school and all that sort of thing, right? It's, it's the pitcher, right? The pitcher to hit number three or four, that sort of thing. Yeah. And you get to high it's school. the pitcher and the shortstop. And the pitcher usually right. when he didn't pitch, then he played shortstop, it, and, he, and he was your third or fourth hitter. It, exactly. And this even carried over into college where you would see that as well. But then, you know, we got to, I'd say, probably the mid-'80s. And that's when we got this. It's like, hmm, DH is in play. Let's do this. Let's don't let our pitcher hit. And I know I've been involved in some teams like, well, this pitcher is, is a great hitter. Why are you going to bench him? Well, we're going we're gonna to save his legs and this and that. Might get hurt. What are you talking about? He's And so that's when all this nonsense really started. People think, has it always been this way? No. Like you said, it hasn't been that way. I can recall like kind of mid-80s, late-80s, early-90s. That's when we really saw this thing go off the rails like, you know, you know, in college, and like I said, I mean, you watch College World Series, you know, pitchers were jacking them out left and right. Now they don't even get a chance to hit. Well, no, and, and, and we mentioned a couple of weeks ago, Rick Ankeel, yeah. a guy who couldn't throw a pitch anymore. He played center field. What if they didn't know that he had that kind of bat? Would he even have gotten that opportunity? So, you know, it is – I don't understand why sometimes they just – automatically look at stuff and that's just the way it is yeah. and they they think that that's the way yeah. like when we talked with uh, with Steve Sachs recently right. and he talked about the shift how it's overused today you know yeah. and you can use it and I'm sure they have their stats and their analytics yeah. and everything yeah. else out there but sometimes things are overdone sometimes being creative is going back to the way it used yeah. to be shout out to uh, my guy who's been on the show here before Randy Lurch one of the best hitting pitchers uh, in baseball, i got to throw him in there because he's a Sacramento Sports Hall of Famer. But again, one of the best hitting pitchers ever that we saw in his days with the Phillies. And uh, again, a guy hit two homers in a game. You know, there, and there, there were several guys back then. And I remember when Randy uh, went to the big leagues, he didn't want to be a pitcher because now they're not going to let me hit. So he right. goes, man, I hope, uh, you know, again, go to a National League team where I, I, I can hit. 
And but uh, yeah, he he was pretty bummed that he didn't get a chance to hit a lot of times. And but sometimes he was so good that the manager would put him in as a pinch hitter. And you know it's interesting too because I remember and I didn't get to see any of this footage, but I'd like to try to dig it up someplace. Mm-hmm. You know, Dave Kingman was a pitcher at USC. That's true. That's right. I mean, could you imagine Dave with that big imposing oh, yeah. frame in it? But Dave. He couldn't play third or the outfit or anything else, but he used to pitch and he was pretty good. And then they had that real short fence there. They said every fly ball he hit was a home run there. So, right. but I mean, you think about somebody like that. It's like Dave Kingman was a pitcher. Yes. So Dave Kingman wouldn't have hit. I mean, come on. It's yeah. just it, it's crazy when you think about it. But you know, sometimes people overthink things, and that's how we started in this whole thing because I thought Tampa Bay got away with overthinking they it did. last night. And we'll see if that uh, if they get away with it uh, in the future games. But we do have a series one-one. We'll talk to Chris Basio here uh, in a few moments. But let's touch on some uh, NFL news, and we touched upon it the other day, part of our terrible Tuesday. But uh, we actually got to hear from Brian Flores, the head coach of the Miami Dolphins, as Miami has decided to make that quarterback change. I think you and I both are on this exact same page where Ryan Fitzpatrick did not deserve to lose his job. Fitz has only led Miami to wins in three of the last four games. They scored 43 points at San Francisco a couple weeks ago. Last week they win 24-0 against the Jets. But Brian Flores says, that's enough. And uh, Tua is our new quarterback. This, we talked about it as a staff, um, Chris, personnel department. We just felt like it was the best move for the team right now. And, uh, you know, uh, that's how we're going to move forward. I think he's practiced well. He's, uh, he works hard, um, you know, in meetings and walkthroughs. And I think he's got a good rapport with his teammates. Um, like every week we go out to win. So, yeah, I'm confident that he's, you know, if we if we prepare the right way, prepares the way he's been preparing that. Um, I'm confident we'll we'll we'll, uh, we'll we'll go out there and 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 have good results. But it's not a it's not a one man game. I think that's that's the one thing that um, I mean it's football. So you need 11 guys on each each play uh, to go out there and play together and play as a team. That does not sound like a real confident head coach. So begs a question here: okay, why they're doing it? We touched on on that the other day. But is this coming from above? Or is he on board with this? He didn't sound really convinced, and I agree with you. It doesn't sound like he's that convinced about it. He mentions that you need 11 men. And, yeah, but aren't they supposed to be the best 11 men? People get upset when a guy loses his job because of an injury. And it happens more and more in sports today. And I don't, you know, you can have your own feelings on that. If somebody else you think is better and he's coming and he's played well, fine. But I don't remember how many guys have lost their job because they've been successful. And that's what Fitzpatrick's about. You mentioned winning three of the last four games on a team that wasn't playing very well. He's got the team up. He's got them playing well. He's excited. He's like a kid again out there. He's done nothing wrong. There's no injury of any kind that we know about, and now he loses his job? That's kind of crazy. Yes, totally crazy. And if you followed the NFL for a long time in Fitzpatrick's career, and we've talked about it before, one of the smartest quarterbacks, went to Harvard, an Ivy League guy, and this guy has always gotten the shaft wherever he's been. I mean, he came out as a backup, and then he had some great games with Buffalo. He's bounced around the league, and he's always been that guy. Well, okay, our starting quarterback's hurt or has you know gone south here. Let's bring him in. And that's why he got the name Fitzmagic, because this guy really delivers. If you look at his career stats, it's pretty darn amazing, and here's a situation. He goes to the worst team in football a couple of years ago, and okay, you want me to be a stopgap? I'll do it. Played pretty well. Really not his fault that they were that bad uh, last year, and uh, they felt that Tua wasn't ready, okay? So they 
give it to Fitz. And Fitz says, yeah, I'm, I'm going to take this thing. And in his mind, he thought he was going to get a chance to be the starting quarterback probably the whole year. And like you said, when he's playing well, no way he deserves to lose his job. So Tua gets the keys to the car. Here is Tua speaking about getting the news. Yeah, well, I, I first heard about it from Coach. Uh, Coach called me and told me the news. Um, you know, but I, I think that question is more so for the coaches. Um, as a player in the NFL, you're just trying to do your best to prepare every day you can. And when your opportunity is given, you know, it, it, it's given. You just got to be ready. I think that's a question for um, you guys to, to ask the coaches. Um because really, it's it's out of my control um, with the decision making. So Tua speaking there, uh, we saw some video yesterday where he was genuinely happy. Do you think he was surprised? I think he was maybe a little bit surprised because, like we mentioned, he he has eyes. He knows the game of football. He knows Fitzpatrick is playing well. I think he's excited about starting. And what's he supposed to say? He shouldn't really necessarily even be having to be answered any of these questions. His job is to prepare for a game and try to go out and win and try to build on what Fitzpatrick has done up to this point, winning three of the last four games and continue on that winning way. He's a young quarterback. He wants his shot at the NFL. He's now getting it. It's not his place to say, well, no, the co- what's he going to do? No, the coaches are wrong. I shouldn't be starting right now. Right. You don't want that as your quarterback. You want a guy that's hungry, but he seemed a little bit uncomfortable from me, just from his tone and everything else. Kind of like how we talked about the coach was like, well, you know, they're, they're not really sure what's going on. He's, he's doing what he's supposed to do. I'm sure he's elated. I'm sure he's ecstatic about being it, but I'm sure he also can't explain it because it's kind of inexplainable right now. Well, and Ryan Fitzpatrick... You know, said also uh, he was very disappointed. I think I I have the quote in here, you know, somewhere. And he's actually going to talk about it here about now. He's got to go to work and be in this quarterback room, you know, after losing his job. So uh, here was uh, the emotional Ryan Fitzpatrick after getting the news that he's been demoted. We talked in the past, uh, me and you guys, about you know how I'm the placeholder, and this eventually was going to happen. No matter, it, it was just a matter of kind of win not if and um it still just it it broke my heart yesterday and um you know it's a tough uh tough thing for for me to hear and to now have to deal with but um you know i'm going to do my best with it how can you talk in the past uh, me and you how can you not feel sorry for this guy and like you said now i've got to basically you know he goes i went to work today sitting in the same room with the coach that fired me, and he used that term, fired me, and sitting with the guy that replaced me. And again, Fitzpatrick's 40 years old. He probably doesn't have another job after this. Yeah, and if he does, it's probably going to be in a real mop-up or stopgap type of role or something like that. He knows that. He thought that he was getting another shot at this point of his career to try to do something, to maybe really make a little Fitz magic out there. While Tua can learn from him watching on the sideline, how a professional goes about it, the team was excited. I'm curious to see how the team comes out under Tua. And it's not a knock on Tua, but when you've had success with somebody and you're starting to believe in them and the way things are going, and all of a sudden, through no fault of yours, we, we heard him say, well, you need 11 men. You need 22 men, really. And then you need the special teams. You need everybody on the team to contribute. But when you go out there and you've taken what's built up the success you have, and now you're intentionally throwing a monkey wrench into it, 
I almost I feel bad for both of them actually. I feel bad for Fitzpatrick because he doesn't deserve it. I also kind of feel bad for Tua because if he's successful, they're going to go. Well, Fitzpatrick already started it, and why shouldn't they be successful? The team's playing well right now. If they fall on their face and lose, they're going to go. This kid was never ready, and he shouldn't right. be there. This could actually really backfire and destroy some of his confidence yeah. going down the road if it doesn't work out. No, and I totally agree because, remember, this will be 351 days for Tua that he hasn't played in a football game. By the time he takes a snap, now they have a bye this week, so Miami will play next week. So they're making this move now, so he gets basically a week and a half to practice. But 351 days since he played at Alabama and got injured in that game. No one knows for sure. Yeah, we remember so that injury. A year. It was it was a gruesome injury, and no one knew if he was going to be able to battle back. It was, I don't want to say similar to Alex Smith's injury, but you know it was gruesome in a different way. But you just didn't know about this guy. And the Dolphins took a shot, and they said, "Hey, we're, we'll we'll take a shot with this guy." But we don't know, like you said, if he's ready to play football. To the point you made about Brian Flores saying, "Hey, we need we got eleven guys, twenty two guys, everybody." Well, you need all of those guys to buy in to this rookie quarterback. And I underline the word rookie because you guys are veterans. You know how they treat rookies anyway. And we know that this guy's the golden child and everything, but you still don't know what he's going to be like. And I'm telling you, for me, I'm not rooting for Tua to fail, but I'm probably going to be one of those guys. I think they're playing the Rams. I'm going to be on the other side from a wagering standpoint. I'm telling you right now, I, I don't think Tua is ready. And to go in there and command that huddle and with limited practice time, because he hasn't been getting any of the number one reps during uh, training camp, during the, the first six weeks, there's no way in the world. I don't think he's going to be ready. And like you said, the Dolphins are playing so good. I mean, it's got to be a, a, a letdown for them, especially if they lose. Then what are you going to do? You're going to say, well, we're riding out with two of the rest of the way. We don't, really don't want this quarterback controversy. You caused it yourself. Yeah, you, you not only cause it yourself, but like I said, the team right now is feeling good about themselves. Now they have a guy coming in there. And Tua can look as good as he possibly can in practice and everything else. If I am the Rams, after this week when I'm playing them, I'm blitzing the first couple of times because I want to see what he's got mentally in that. Like you mentioned, he hasn't played. He's also a young guy who'd probably never really been injured before in his life, coming off that gruesome injury. Is he mentally ready to play? Can he take a hit? Is he going to be releasing the ball too soon if you do hit him a couple times early? Is he going to be thinking run before pass? Is he mentally there? He's a youngster. You don't have to rush him in. And they are. All because we're paying him the big money. Yes, hey, we we, we use him on a draft pick and and we want him to play, so that's what you're going to do. Everybody thinks the coaches makes all the final right. decisions. On a lot of teams, that's not necessarily right. the case. And they look at Patrick Mahomes. It was the, the exact same situation. Well, we got Alex Smith, and Alex Smith was playing pretty darn well, you know, b- before you know he got uh, kicked out the door there in Kansas City. Obviously, before he got injured, and uh, they knew Mahomes was going to be the guy. But the success that Mahomes had, now I think every coach and general manager thinks that, oh wow, well, this guy Tua, he's going to be the next Mahomes. Not the case. I mean, for every Mahomes, there's 28 guys that are not him and have failed miserably. For every Mahomes, there's a Mitchell Trubisky, you're saying? There you go. I like, well, I'm glad you said that, not me. That's your team, you know, so there you go. Uh, the, the, go Bears. Bears. the Bears obviously gave up on him before the season even started. How about a Tim Couch? Remember him? Oh, there's a lot of them. I yeah, mean, you know what I'm saying? There's a long uh, list. Yeah. Absolutely. Of Hall of Famers that uh, couldn't even start in the league. There you go. Hall of Famers out of college, uh, mm-hmm. out of the league. So, uh, Ryan yeah. Leaf? 
Ryan Leaf's another one. It, it, wow. It's fall. Oh, yeah. How, how sometimes <laughs> leaves fall. Yeah. You're scoring a lot of points today. Have you noticed that? You're really you're getting a ding. You know, if, if we were that goofy uh, ESPN show or whatever, I think you'd you know you'd be winning today. The Gong Show? No, not the Gong Show. <laughs> I would dominate the Gong Show. Stump the Swami. Ah, ah, ladies and gentlemen. Ah, uh, ah. Uh. Ballpark Frank, ladies and gentlemen. Chuck Ferris here. Tell you what, what we're going to do, we're going to come back, get off your toilet seat, and get ready for Chris Bosio. He's coming next. Oh, it's Gene Gene the Dancing Machine. Oh, yeah. Back to more nonstop sports talk with the Dr. T.C. Martin. All right, World Series off tonight. No, it's not a travel day. They get to to chill out in, in Arlington, Texas. So, did you, did you hear the announcers after last night's game? Well, now they're going to take their virtual travel and act like they're going back to Tampa and they're going to they made it sound like they're still going to celebrate like it is a travel day or something right. like that. I guess they're traveling from room to room in their hotel. Hey, bottom line is it's a rest day, okay? That's, exactly. That, it's a rest day. Something that the they pitchers. didn't have in the league championship series, but yeah. now they have them. Or the division series. Yeah. Exactly. The wild card round. There it is. All right, speaking of rest, let's check with our good friend Chris Bazio, the former pitcher and the uh, former pitching coach himself. Uh, he knows all about these World Series games, knows about off days, knows about bad weather, knows about uh, just uh, gut-wrenching games. What is going on, Boz? Not too much. How are you doing? I'm good, man. How are you doing? I'm doing good. All right, man. I'm doing good. All right, so give us your thoughts here. Uh, we've seen the first two games. Uh, the We've seen plenty of offense. First two games, we've got bunches of runs, not really – Honey bunches of oats, like I know Frank would like to go with. Like you like that one, don't you? That was good. You give me that one, right? I, I told you. You know how plain my tastes are. I eat, I eat rice krispies with coke. Okay, that's <laughs> rice krispies with coke. <laughs> Thank you very much, Numchuck. You can buzz it all you want to. That's what I have. <laughs> all right. First two games, bunches of runs have come in the middle innings. Boz, we saw the Dodgers in game one. They scored two in the fourth, four in the fifth, uh, two in the sixth. Game two last night, Tampa uh, gets their runs that way. Two in the fourth, two in the fifth, one in the sixth. Does this say something about the, the starting pitching here? Why are we seeing this, these bunches of runs here? Is it just purely coincidental? I think you got two really good offensive teams with not a lot of holes up and down the lineup. You know, both teams are swinging the bat. And, you know, what's bizarre about this playoffs is the Dodgers have called that home for well over a week already. And Tampa just obviously got there, just coming off a, a really exciting series against Houston in San Diego. And before that, uh, Houston was up in L.A. So, I mean, the travel schedules, like you say, they have an off day, but it's not a travel day. I, I can only imagine how the bullpen guys' arms feel right now after getting through all of this. To be able to have a day off is, is a true blessing for both teams, especially those bullpens. We saw Blake Snell. He looked pretty sharp. Former Cy Young Award winner, but I think there are a lot of people we weren't sure exactly what we were going to see because he's been walking a lot of people. Hasn't been that great uh, over the last couple outings, but he carried a no-hitter into the fifth last night. Then he got touched up in the fifth, giving up a homer, a single, and he had four walks total. Uh, Give us your thoughts uh, about Snell and the rest of the Rays pitching staff here. Well, I'll tell you what, they're pretty resilient. Um, Snell, you know, the Dodgers feast, I, I speak on experience on this, the Dodgers feast on second or third opportunities when facing 
you know, certain pitchers. And that's what we're seeing, you know, with what some of the teams are having to face with their relievers. Because in these series with no days off, and I, I think it was uh, Verducci that uh, commented on it, that some of these guys are seeing a reliever for not the second but the third time in four- and five-game series. And you, you never really see that during the season, ever. So being able to have a day off you know, in this World Series, is, I really think it's going to benefit both bullpens, especially Tampa Bay's, which has the stronger bullpen. I think the thing that we've seen with the Dodgers is that there's some vulnerability there. You know, I, I'm telling you, Tampa Bay right now is scary because they've, they're not afraid. They bounce back in a big way. And I think they're up for the moment. I really do. After coming off series where there were the seven games in seven days and you played every day like that, how much of an advantage is that to the manager and the pitching coaches and everybody else, knowing that you have a couple rest days if this does go six or seven games here? And how much more does that make it um, so that they can believe in and maybe keep a reliever in there, a couple batters more, an inning more or something like that, knowing that they're not going to have to go seven days in a row because there are a couple rest days in there? Well, this is the way I always looked at it and the way it worked out. Every time you had an off day, whether it was in the city or a travel day during the season, three relievers benefit from it. Three relievers are going to come out of this feeling better and really need, you know, the day off. I mean, this, this Fairbanks kid that Tampa Bay's throwing, he's guys throwing 100 miles an hour with 86-mile-an-hour curveballs. It's, it's unbelievable. You know, the Dodgers have their their guys, too, but it just seems like we've seen so much baseball in the last 10 days. You're really getting to know the Tampa Bay, you know, organization. And for the managers and the pitching coaches on this, it is a true blessing because then they didn't have the nightmare of the last two series when you didn't get any off-days period. Chris Bosio joins us, the former pitching coach for the Cubs and many others as well, too. As uh, we're talking World Series game number three coming up uh, tomorrow night, Boz, the Dodgers used seven pitchers last night. We've seen both of these managers love to go to the bullpen early. Are we going to see more of this in the World Series with with short leashes? Oh, yeah. You know, I was talking to a buddy of mine yesterday before a couple things happened, and, you know, he's like, it's just amazing what's happening with these starting pitchers. You know, you've got maybe a handful of guys in the entire league that could even get close to 200 innings, let alone the 200 strikeout plateau. But we know who those dominant guys are. Everybody else, I mean, you, you may have five starters during the season, but basically they're everybody's a reliever except for your, your number one stud. You know, for the Cubs, you know, probably Darvish for the, you know, obviously for the Dodgers, it's, it's, it's Kershaw. By the way, this is, I think, the best I've ever seen Kershaw throw this late in the season, but then it's kind of in the middle for him. Right. Where his arm is, our arm's got to be fresh. Clayton Kershaw's got to be going, man, I wish every year would go like this. No, you know, I know he's not serious about that because of the COVID, but the freshness that the pitchers have, it could be a blessing, but it also could be a curse if used too much. Because some of these guys are going to 
they're going to show up on the injury report needing elbow issue or shoulder issue, probably having surgery. I know something that you touched on a little bit earlier, the fact that the Dodgers had played their last series in this ballpark as well. Does that benefit them? Because technically, I mean, we know that there's a different home team every game because they're switching it because of locker rooms or whatever like that. But in reality, they're playing in the same place. The fact that the Dodgers are more comfortable in this park, is that an edge to them? Or does Tampa also have it because, you know, I mean, they're, they're familiar. They've played in Texas before and things like that. So is there any advantage there whatsoever? Or it's just the advantage is the home team still gets the last at bat regardless of who it is? You know, I, I did not check the schedule to see if uh, Tampa Bay went into Texas this year. I don't know if they've been in that new stadium. But, you know, to take care of the Dodgers, for the Dodgers have to have that path and not have to travel, look what, the, look what happened in that series with San Diego, excuse me, with uh, Tampa Bay and Houston. I mean, every guy was used. Every inning, it was just max effort, you know, and it was just pedal to the metal. And those those teams are having to go from Oakland or from San Diego or from L.A. and now jump back over there. Big-time advantage to the Dodgers because you, you get to stay in one place and really set up your routine. And also, you're they're in the home team dugout. The, other, the visiting team, you're right, you got a great point, but I – I don't know how many games they played in that stadium, but anytime you get a chance to unpack your suitcase and be there for a prolonged period of time, it's going to feel more like home. No, no doubt about it. All right, Chris Bazio joins us talking World Series. We're talking about Kevin Cash. He loves to use the opener, you know, which is something that I don't think either one of us is a fan of. Dave Roberts has pulled his starters early. You sat next to, stood next to, and worked with Joe Madden, and he's has been one of these guys, probably the first guy, you know, that wants to kind of be quirky and do these weird things. And we talked earlier about, you know, having the pitcher bat eighth uh, and, you know, do four outfielders and all this stuff. And then, you know, do these weird things with pitching. Why is baseball such a copycat league? And is this only going to get worse in years to come where we see basically we don't see the stud starting pitcher going seven, eight innings anymore that maybe more and more managers are going to use this opener and we're going to see guys going one, two, and three innings? Well, the name of the game is velocity. That's why they're they're going with these openers. Most of these openers, I'd say nine out of ten of them that start are guys with unbelievable stuff. Because then you're gonna you're gonna set your team. You have to set your team in the beginning of the game based on the starting pitcher. And to be able to bring in a lefty when you stack that team full of righties, because if you played it the other way, you know the lefty would never come in, and you you know then the advantage goes to the team using the opener. I think you have to play it. Play your your best nine guys, including your best pitcher that day. And you got to roll the dice because the managers could have the upper hand on some matchups. And I, in that scenario, I really like Tampa Bay because they've done it all year long. The Dodgers haven't. How has it changed the philosophy of pitching and being a pitching coach with the fact that teams are using the shift 
constantly. It seems like almost every at batter sometimes. It used to be it seemed like most pitchers would just try to stay away from somebody and make them hit it out of their zone or out of their comfort zone and go to the opposite field. But now you don't necessarily want to do that all the time because the shift might it might actually hurt you in that. Has the shift changed the way that pitching is done from a from a standpoint of in-game preparation and, and just making it uh, work to your advantage? Absolutely. You know, they've got every spray chart possible on every guy versus every pitch. Every pitch you throw, you know, his arm angle, the speed of it, what side of the rubber he's on, you know, what's his batting average, you know, in 90-degree weather, what's his batting average in 60-degree weather. All of those variables come in. When I, when I set up my rotation, that's how I did it. I took the best numbers in that scenario, and I didn't really didn't care who the name was. That's how Kyle Hendricks became a no-name superstar in the fifth spot of the rotation. When his numbers say he's one of our best pitchers. Oh, yeah, but we had Arietta, we had, we had Lester, we had Lackey. You know, we had some talent. And I think the same thing going, you know, on here is you got to be careful who you're going to try to match these guys up with. You know, um, Tampa Bay has got some guys that can really spin the ball in that bullpen as well as fastball. You look at the Dodgers bullpen, most of them are pretty straight. they got a fastball and a little breaking ball. But most of them are throwing fastballs. The Tampa Bay guys, if you watch the games, their secondary stuff, TC, it lights out. It's really impressive to see how these, some of these guys spin the ball and at the velocity at which they're pitching. So, Boz, how was it working with Joe Madden like that? Because you knew that he had his little quirks and had his things. And, you know, again, we're talking about Kevin Cash and, you know, the pitching coach there for, for Tampa. We know that relationship has got to be so tight with a manager. Uh, how did that work with you guys as far as, like, did he have, like, an idea that maybe he – you guys really didn't do the opener thing, you know, so to speak. And if you did, no. you, you, can, you can comment on it. But just, just talk about that dynamic with a pitching coach and a manager, especially a manager who maybe is a little full of himself and is trying to, trying to do some odd things that you might not be on board with. Well, as you know, 12, 13, 14 in Chicago were trying years. I mean, my job was to get Matt Garza hot, which we did, traded him. Get some Marja hot, we did. Traded a Dempster, you know. And in return, we got some really good young talent. In this case with Joe, in 15, when we got swept by the Mets, and incidentally during that year, we, we were 9-0 and against the Mets. They never beat us. We get in the playoffs and they, they swept us. But yeah, I will say this about Joe. The one thing I learned from Joe a valuable, valuable lesson is that every out matters. That's how we won a World Series with that thought in mind. I remember after 15 in the clubhouse, you know, we had a real quick meeting. Guys, unbelievable season. You guys know you're the better team. And we were. We, we had the best team in 15. I really believe that. And, you know, he said, look it. I love the way you play the game. Every out matters, whether we're hitting or whether we're on defense, and that's how we're going to play this game. Next year, we're going to be right back in the same position, but we're the team that's going to be partying on the field. Never forget that. That was in our home clubhouse when the Mets beat us on our turf. 
swept us out, and then Kansas City ended up beating the Mets that year. That would have been something, TC, if we had beaten the Mets and then Dale Swaim, who was fired the year before, one of my best friends growing up in Sacramento right. and, and rookie ball and all that, we would have been playing the Kansas City. The Cubs would have been playing the Royals in 15 if we would have got by the Mets. Right. Man, that would have been something else. That, that would have been drama. <laughs> October 22nd is the date today. See, I got the date right today. Does that mean anything to you, Boz? Does this date mean anything to you? No. Doesn't? Not right now, it doesn't, no. Okay. Well, I don't have all these dates and stats in front of me like you do. <laughs> okay. Here's the 0-1. This is going to be a tough play. Today's the anniversary, boss. There you are. You're jumping up and down. You're going crazy out of the dugout there, man. I With thought the- it was November 2nd. You know? Um, it was today the pennant are day? You, are you sure on the date? Today was the pennant day probably, right? Today was the pennant day, not the World Series day. So you're right. My bad. Yeah. yeah. Pennant today- day. World Series day is November 2nd. Yeah. See, I know that. Okay. See, that's my So, so you got the day right today, but it's still the event. Where's my background drum? Here we go. Let's go. Come got on. him. Come on, Nunchuck. Got See- him. <laughs> It wasn't Nothing. me. As Shaggy said, it wasn't me. Come on, man. <laughs> no, Chuck. You stirred me the there wrong way. There it is. There you go. That's All right, it. Let's Thanks, get, buddy. Okay, let's, let's do this over. Okay, we'll, we'll delete that part of the show. Cubs won the pennant today. That's the anniversary, my friend. What do you remember about yeah. that? What do you remember about that? Everything. <laughs> because the Cardinals were our big nemesis, and – I swear, there's so, so many great rivalries in baseball, but when the Cubs-Cardinals played, I'm serious, in 14, when they were really good. 15, they were good, but we beat them. And we advanced past Pittsburgh, who had a really good team. And we learned a lot from playing the Cardinals because you got to beat Big Brother, and these guys pounded on us for years. And one of the things that you know, I told the Epstein after the season, I said, we need one more starter. He goes, who do you want? I said, I want John Lackey because Lackey stuffed it on us in 15, pitched great, but got a no decision. But you know Lackey, how he's pitching, he's, he's in your face, he's yelling, he's snorting, <laughs> he's screaming. We needed that. We needed that kind of personality. And then going out being able, being able to get uh, Zobrist as well was a huge thing for us. And then obviously the third thing was Chapman. Right. Nastiest guy I've ever seen pitch in my life. Consistently, 103, 104, 105. But, you know, a lot of things I remember about that, winning that pennant that year. Well, you know what, Boz? We'll just call you back on November 2nd. How's that? Perfect. <laughs> I was going to bring this up, too, uh, because obviously it doesn't come into play in this World Series and it hasn't in this playoff with the designated hitter being used in every park, uh, no, no, no matter who's playing. But when you guys did win that World Series, a lot of people thought that uh, maybe not having a home field advantage for that became uh, something that turned out to be advantageous because Carl Schwarber got to play in those big games, and he seemed to play a big role in it as well. Did that help a little bit, maybe, that uh, using the DH? uh, You would think it would normally help the American League team, but the Cubs really seemed to take advantage of that. We played really well on the road. We, We really liked getting out of Chicago 
because it's, it was a time for literally some peace and quiet and rest. I mean, there's Cubs fans everywhere, but you're right. We don't win that World Series without Kyle Schwarber. And I, I remember when he had the knee, knee incident leaving spring training in Arizona in a collision with Dexter. I, I couldn't believe he was back already. And he, he was sitting there on a bus ride. We just, I think we just got back to Chicago on one of our last road trips. And he was still with us working out. And then he flew down to Arizona once the playoffs started to get ready. And we're like, get ready for what? And they're like, well, I don't know. There's an outside chance maybe. And he was literally getting 1,000 pitches a day off that, that machine going 90. Right-handed sliders, left-handed sliders, curveballs, change-ups. It was the number was a thousand a day. That's the kind of guy Kyle Schwarber was. And when he showed up for that World Series and the way he swung the bat, it's like he never left. The kid can hit a fastball. He's got a huge heart and a great person. <laughs> Chris Bazio joins us the day today. Today's the twenty second, right? Yeah. Yeah. Cubs win the pennant. Yeah, won the pennant. World Series started October 25th that year. It did start. Ended on November 2nd. Really late. How crazy is that? I remember that. All right. Uh, Boz, who do you like? Game three tomorrow. Walker Buehler taking the mound for the Dodgers and Charlie Morton. And Morton was pretty rock solid against the Astros in that game seven. So he's going to get back at it tomorrow. He hasn't lost yet. I'm going to go with Tampa Bay. What about long term here? How are you seeing this series go? It, it, it disfigures to go seven again because you've got president of baseball operations is the former architect of the Tampa Bay Devil Race, Friedman, and those all those guys in the front office with Tampa Bay were, you know, his interns and some of the guys that had signed on with them that he had handpicked from other organizations. A couple of guys were in the mailroom now that are assistant GMs. It's it's a battle of. Tampa Bay masterminds up there because Friedman's done a great job with an obviously a huge payroll, but he's made it a destination attraction for a lot of free agents. And I'm going to go early on a call for you, TC. Chris Chris Bryant will be a Los Angeles Dodger. You heard, you heard it here right now. Should we hit the breaking news right now? That's Chris Bosio, ladies and gentlemen. Happen. Chris Bosio on the streets right now, not in Los Angeles, <laughs> in where you know Podunk, Arizona, wherever he's at, you know, in his recliner, in his bed, who knows where. Chris Bosio saying, "Chris Bryant, a Dodger." Write it down, ladies and gentlemen, on October twenty second. That's it. There's your date. <laughs> There's this date in history. This date. This date in history, right here, right now. Here we go. There you go. know it <laughs> now you're jumping up and down see i got that right you're going crazy what are you doing at this moment right now right there what are you doing going crazy <laughs> let's go, go crazy. crazy man go crazy there you go all right you're partying like it's 1999 you and prince there you go man all right brother hey we appreciate it as always uh get some rest we'll look forward to talking with you again real soon here uh, more with this World Series. And I hope you're right. I hope we do have a seven-game series. It's so funny because there are so many people giving their previews for game number two. Short series, sweep, no. 
five. I didn't hear anybody yesterday say this thing was going to go more than five yesterday because they got fooled seeing you know the Dodgers winning game one so handily, eight to three. Well, we always know that. We, we know that people tend to react to the last thing they saw. The Dodgers' mm-hmm. bats exploded. All of a sudden, well, okay, Tampa's been a nice story. They beat the two highest payrolls outside of L.A., but they're not going to get by them. Now they win a game. Now the narrative's going to change. We know that the fan base is going to change it every game, and a lot of people in the media are as well. I hope we have a long, good series because, let's face it, remember, once this thing does wrap up, we're not going to have baseball for a while, so let's enjoy it while it's here. Yeah, exactly. And uh, we're not Hey, gonna... TC, I got, a, I got a question for you, TC. You, yeah. you said that, you know, sometimes that you're only as good as your last hit or last pitch. Yeah. Well, I'm still thinking about that triple I hit off you, and you got <laughs> nothing off me. I got nothing. There it is. Look at this. Oh man. Nothing. You know, I'm Double. I'm I'm just gonna I'm gonna just let that go today because I know you're heavily medicated, my friend. So I'm just gonna I'm gonna just let that go. How's that? Sorry. <laughs> no problem. But j- just because DC finally knows what day it is, it doesn't mean that he knows a lot of other stuff. Wow. Thank you. I was gonna say it, but I don't want to come. I didn't want to go there. I yeah. really didn't. Yeah. I figured I'd have your back. Bazio and his fantasy world, his fantasy world, getting a triple I. We know with Bazio's speed, he, he would have never got to third off me. He doesn't never. have to have I'm, a fantasy world. He's I'm, got a World Series ring. <laughs> other people Loud live dang. in his, Loud dang. Other people live in his fantasy world. Yeah. Yeah, it's this. The rest of us, uh, all high school, also rans. Yeah, we just got to take a bow, you know. Even though we turn yeah. out we beat well, the guy in high school, but he's he's your, wearing the go ring. Go to your local Seven Eleven and go buy a Cracker Jack box, and maybe you'll get a ring inside. <laughs> TC is going to do Married with Children twenty twenty, or maybe a, or maybe a nice trophy from you from somebody's garage sale. Very nice. Instead, instead of the that was my. That was my nephew's. Come on, he gave it to you. I know. Instead, I know. instead of Al Bundy, high school quarterback, he's going to be uh, T.C. Martin, high school p- baseball pitcher. Come on, boss. These guys don't know. You got to you got to give them a little a little something. I mean, there was a little respect on the other side. You got to give it up. These guys have no idea. He gave you about as little yep, as he yep, possibly they can. <laughs> they've got a re- they got a really good idea. <laughs> Killing me. There used to be days when I used to have Bosio on years ago that he would give me the props. But now, see, now there's no props. That's okay. I don't know. No, now I got a crew. I got a producer that's paying attention to me. You know, every time I got to say something, bam, there it is. See, on time, on time. Plus, maybe he's going to give you props on the day that you actually get the highlight and the date both right on the same day. Yeah. (laughs) Double. Uh, Again, I'm getting fed misinformation here. There it is. See, people don't know. Quit looking at social media. Holy <laughs> cow. TC, <laughs> did you ever think maybe it was done on purpose? Ooh, good one. <laughs> <laughs> there he is again. My boy. There it is. He's, right all, there. he's all over. The numchuck loves you, boss. There you go. <laughs> By the way, that's the guy uh, feeding you the information yeah, that's doing this that. This is true. That's the it. same guy's I'm feeding sure. me the information is also. Checks in the mail. Checks in the mail. Thank you. you got that? There it is. <laughs> he's like, hey, let, let me put this note up for TC. He'll buy it. He'll buy anything. That's it. <laughs> I'll buy that for a dollar. I got to be honest with you. I'm in negotiations with your crew having another show in the Cosmopolitan right next to you. Yes, there it is. Boz's Bits, ladies and gentlemen, coming your way to the Cosmopolitan. It's going to be the uh, Cosmopolitan bullpen. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) That's what we should do.
the Cosmopolitan And everybody's bullpen, standing there watching the short. Everybody's standing watching the show. It's like they're they're standing behind the fence, you know, in Madison, Wisconsin, in the Northwest League, and you can rag and do whatever you want to. You know, TC show, the it, doctor. It, there you go. Well, at least you didn't mention the snow fence at, at the old Folsom High School. That's good. I appreciate I, that. No, I, I ripped. I rip, look, at my triple, that thing banged like three of those things. It was gone. <laughs> in, 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 in fact, the restaurant outside of the sports was going to have a special triple burger for the uh, triple oh. that he hit <laughs> off of you. So. Oh, I know. <laughs> what, was the, what, was what was the name of that slushy shop right around the corner from where I hit that ball off you? 